Hey everyone, it's Kevin O'Connor. AKA Kevin O'Bomber. AKA Kevin O'Concert. Kevin! Wait a minute, you're not Chris Vernon. No, Kevin. Sadly, I'm not as cherubic or as raspy as Verno, but it is I, Jay Kyle Man. And folks, basketball has been and continues to be so very good. That's exactly why Kyle and I are hosting a brand new basketball show on a brand new podcast feed, The Ringer's NBA Draft Show. We're going to have you covered every week as we go in-depth and deep dive in hopes of answering an ever-important question in the NBA. Who's got next? Whether it's an international phenom like Victor Wimbanyama or the G League Scoot Henderson or stars from Overtime Elite like Eamon Thompson, as well as a full-blown swarm of talented prospects from the promising 2023 NBA draft class. For sure, Kyle. And we're also going to get into players from the college ranks because this is a loaded class for us to discuss prospects rising and falling. And we're going to revisit and redraft recent draft classes and get into how the league's evolution could help inform what's valuable in a prospect of the future. This is a podcast for a fan of every team, whether you're losing and have high draft lottery odds or you're looking for sleepers later in the draft. We're going to be covering everything in the months to come, so please make sure you follow and subscribe to the Ringer NBA Draft Show. And hit us with those five-star ratings. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash Ringer NFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Preview show. My name is Danny Heifetz. I am joined by Ben Solek and Stephen Ruiz, and we are coming to you every Friday to preview the weekend's NFL games. First up, we've got the game plan where Solek and Stephen cosplay as the biggest uh, coaches for the biggest game of the week, although these are kind of two of the bigger coaches, so it's kind of like they're cosplaying as big coaches. Solak <laughs> is going to be Titans coach Mike Vrabel, who is kind of funny because Mike Vrabel, I've, I've met him. He almost knocked me over in a bar. He's at least five times Ben Solak's size, so good luck to Solak there. Uh, so do you think you could beat up Mike Vrabel in like a hundred thousand tries? No, I think Mike Vrabel, I could, I could convince him to become friends with me though. in a hundred thousand tries, convince him to become like a guardian and a protector who stops me from being beat up by other people. That'd be my angle over the hundred thousand tries. That'd be a good There's little, no, 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 Mediation. Mike, Mike Vrabel would not be friends with Solak. I'm sorry. Abnegation. I believe it. Steven, you're going to be Andy Reid. He's also like five times your size, but like a different shape than Mike Vrabel is. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm going to I'm going to leave it at that. <laughs> All right. Well, big red, <laughs> big red. This is also the Kansas City Chiefs commercials where like Andy wrote the whatever the insurance commercials where he's got the mustache on him. I have a lot of questions, but we can get to that later. Uh, it's a weird intro, but it's a weird week. And this is kind of a weird game to pick as our game of the week, because this is like a 13 point line. So we're going to get into that. But first, Stephen, I want to start with you because the Chiefs, they dropped 44 points on the 49ers last week. The Chiefs lead the league in first downs. They lead the league in points per game. It, maybe it took a little bit. Maybe it didn't. But the Chiefs offense, is it just fully back we, even without Tyreek Hill? Are they just back to like the scorched earth Chiefs? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think it's a different style of offense in, in terms of how they get their explosive plays. And I would even say the threat that you that you are most worried about when you play them They're, the one thing i will say they've been very productive one of the, the best offense in the nfl but they have lost by losing tyreek they have lost that sense that they could score at any time and i think they're trying to replace him by committee they have mvs doing like the the vertical routes they have hardman running the deep crossers that tyreek used to run and then now i think that's why they picked up 
Tony, Kadarius Tony, is to have that guy that could catch a pass underneath and maybe take it to the house at any time. Now, it, it depends on if he's actually on the field, if he's playing, if he picks up the system. But I think that's the thing they lacked. And the way they're getting their explosive plays now is by putting more tight ends on the field. It's not this spread out offense, 11 personnel, three receivers. It's two tight ends, three tight ends sometimes. Sometimes they go under center. And I think that's the difference between this offense and the one we've seen in the past that was built around Tyreek. Now it's built around the tight end position, namely Travis Kelsey. I feel like the weirdest part of this game is the Titans are getting 13 points from the Chiefs. But the Titans defense, the Titans are one of the few teams that have even been able to beat the Chiefs. The Titans, last year they beat the Chiefs straight up just 27 to 3 last year. And then weirdly, mm-hmm. the, the Titans have beaten the Chiefs more than any team since Andy Reid became the Chiefs coach in 2013. The Titans also are tied for the best winning percentage against Patrick Mahomes as a starter. So, and also, again, 27 to 3, they beat him last year. So, so, like, what do the Titans do against the Chiefs? Like, why are they better than other teams against them? The, well, it's it's not like there's two halves to the answer. The first half is that the Titans are extremely well coached, always have been, right? Like Stephen, me, you, Stephen, we were talking about this game before we we got on the call, and Stephen was like, "It." The main thing I want to know from Titans Chiefs 2021 is how did the Titans get all of the Chiefs pa- calls? How they know every single play call out of every single huddle all the time? And it's like, yeah, you kind of get that impression watching the Titans. They're just super di- dialed in on what the opposing team is doing, namely in this game, the Chiefs are on the defensive side of the ball. Testament to Shane Bowen, uh, who's their defensive coordinator. Testament to Jim Schwartz, who's like the senior defensive assistant. Oh, who knows what I really do here sort of a thing, which his fingerprints are all over this defense. It's it's like when Gary Kubiak was like on the Viking staff with Stefanski, and it was like, who's running this offense? But it's like a good partnership to have. Yeah, like it's it's, it's nice because like Schwartz, is really good at one thing, which is getting a four down front to play really aggressive, really upfield and generate disruption. And when he runs a defense in Buffalo, in Detroit and in Philadelphia, he sells out for that one thing so much that it puts you in jeopardy at other spots, right? Like the first thing I did was I checked the Titans cover three rate because all Jim Schwartz did when he was running his four down stuff was like, all right, and cover three behind it, cover three behind it. I need an extra body in the box, cover three, cover three. The Titans are like one of the bottom teams in the league in terms of cover three. So it's nice to have a guy like Schwartz do, bring the one thing he does well, but then have somebody in charge of him to like save him from how far down that path he wants to go. You know what I'm saying? So there's a great blend of uh, Schwartz and then Shane Bowen, who brings more of a like zone influence. They play a lot of quarters. They're still a pretty heavy man team. Like They play a lot of cover one, and then they play a lot of quarters, and quarters ends up playing out like man. So they still trust their corners and stuff like that, but it lets them show too high stuff pre-snap. It lets them rotate. It kind of saves Schwartz from his demons in terms of just being like pass rush, always pass rush, forever. It's a good balance. So they're really well coached defensively. That's kind of the first half of your Titans answer. And then the second half of your Titans answer as to why they beat the Chiefs specifically is because they are the anti-Chiefs. They have been at least over the last couple of years, right? Where it's like, okay, uh, how do you want to beat this 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 Patrick Mahomes, you know, uh, the passing offense all over the field craziness. First, they keep him on the bench. Titans run the football. They run it really, really well. And they eat up clock. Secondly, pressure him with four. Titans pressure with four. They do it really, really, really well. Thirdly, if you can man up with these guys, man up with them. And that's what the Titans, uh, that's what the Titans would endeavor to do against the Chiefs. And like in the uh, the 2021 matchup, they had a lot of success because the Chiefs were struggling to figure out how exactly they wanted to throw the football, right? So like they've got the pieces that are necessary to beat the Chiefs on the defensive side of the ball. And then offensively, this Steve Spagnolo rotate, got three safeties, three corners, everybody's flying around the field, yada, yada, whatever, you know, all this total chaos uh, uh, defense. They just go, okay, where are the, where we have the big receivers, which where's the big one, right? Like they had like, this was a great Michael Pruitt game last year. Why? Because the Chiefs are small linebackers and Michael Pruitt is an offensive tackle who plays tight end. It's a great AJ Brown game last year. Why? Because he's winning one-on-one against whoever the Chiefs put against him because he's just enormous down the field, right? So this, this, this Chiefs defense is built a little bit around the idea, at least previously, uh, around the idea of like speed and versatility. And the Titans were just like, yeah, whatever one-on-one we get, we'll throw it. If that means it's Michael Pruitt day, it's Michael Pruitt day. We don't care. So there's that like hard-nosed physicality aspect of it that maps well into what the Chiefs do. So they just, they have the right buttons to beat the Chiefs. And then they're really, really, really well coached. Steven, if, if, do you agree with Solak about them having the right buttons? Because my one question again, why are the Chiefs favored by 13? 
are the Chiefs just that much better than Tennessee right now? I think that I would say that I, I would say that Vegas is discounting how well coached the Titans are, especially on the defensive side. I, I really think that that matchup is going to be a lot closer than the numbers suggest. So when the Titans are dialed in on what you do, I think that's when you see the best of this defense because there are some some times when it does struggle. But if you look at them this year, the the times when they've been at their best is when they're playing a, a opponent they've played before. Like they played the Colts and the Texans. Those have been their best performances. And they've always done well against the Chiefs, a team they play basically every season, it seems like. Yeah, because the Chiefs win the West and the Titans win the South. And you play divisional winner. You play the same rank of the other divisions in your conference every single year, no matter what. So the number yes. one team in, in, in two AFC divisions will always play each other. So that's why you always get like Titans Chiefs, Ravens Chiefs. It's sick. So it almost feels like a divisional game because of that. I think that will really help this Titans defense and this coaching staff. I don't think it's going to help so much on the other side of the ball. I, I It's going to be a big De- Derrick Henry game, obviously. But when you don't have to worry about the receivers, I, I think it just makes things easier. I don't think Spags is going to have to resort to the tactics that he usually does. I think the defense is going to be a little more sound. I think their front is a lot better than it has been in the past when the Titans have been able to keep them off the field keep the offense off the field by running the ball. So I think that's going to be more of a struggle, but I wouldn't be surprised if this game is, is low scoring compared to mm-hmm. expectations. Yeah. Cause I really think this Titans defense knows how to call plays against this chiefs offense. Yeah. Extremely wide range of outcomes in this game, which is cool because this is the league's current best third down offense. Chiefs convert on 51.9% of their third downs this season, more than half obnoxious, ridiculous. Stop it. The Titans surrender the league's best third down conversion percentage. 25. Surrender is an excellent word for that. Yeah. So we got the league's top third down offense against the league's top third down defense. And we have uh, the Titans are also league's best uh, rushing defense in terms of success rate allowed. And the Chiefs have been like kind of good running the football. They've earned a little bit more in early downs this season. I think they're going to come out in some run looks and kind of test that water a little bit. I think you kind of have to because you'd love to get the Titans to bring an extra guy down in the box. You'd love to be able to run this football and not have the Titans lie to you with where their safeties line up. Because that's talking about being well coached. That's another thing that they do a great job of is they they uh, we talk a lot about using safeties and using rotations to kind of disguise who's going to go where. But you have to have good timing with it. You have to have good like you have to be keyed in on tendencies. And with Kevin Byard, Amani Hooker and Andrew Adams, they're really, really solid in their safety rotation. So You'd love to get that extra guy in the box and you know, kind of stress out the linebackers a little bit. So I think they'll try to dip their toe in the running game early and meet resistance, not be able to do it. And then you start to get to third and longs. And for the Chiefs this year, it's been, okay, well, who cares? Like, yeah, we, they, the Chiefs get to a lot of third downs this year. They don't give a hoot. They convert on over 50% of them. Why, they go for on a fourth down. Why do we care? The Titans are better than any defense at getting off the field. And when you watch the Titans on third down, they put their corners out there. They put out Christian Fulton, who, holy smokes, Christian Fulton's playing some good football this year. Corner from LSU. He's a second-round pick a couple years ago. Really, really good ball. They have a rookie corner in Roger McCreary. Uh, they put them out on the field. Put, uh, uh, they'll bring Amani Hooker down into the slot, and they'll say, yeah, we like our guys one-on-one. And the big question for the Chiefs all year has been these outside receivers, right? Like, if you remember a few weeks ago, like, over 50% of the Chiefs' uh, passing production was coming from, like, tight ends and running backs. They were not relying on the receivers at all. So you get to third and long as the Titans. It is it is Titans' strength in terms of their trust in their corners, the way these guys are playing, against what that has been better for the Chiefs, but early on was, like, Chiefs' weakness, Juju and MVS. And it, it, it is third down strength versus third down strength. And that's why I say it's a wide range of outcomes. Titans win that battle on third down. Chiefs scored, what, 14? Chiefs win that battle on third down. They scored 40. Somewhere in the middle. <laughs> yeah. like, it's a very tough game to figure out because that late down matters so much. So do I throw 20 bucks on the Titans money line, which is almost it's almost five to one? 20 bucks would almost get you 100 bucks. It's a good. I don't know about that. I would, I would throw it on the, the line, though. I would throw it on Plus the line. I, I, yeah. I, the one thing that the, the Titans did so well in that matchup last year was change their looks after the snap. Like rotate their coverages, put safeties in in weird places, and then rotate them. And then another thing they were doing before the snap was like messing with their leverages. Like the cornerbacks would start outside, they would move to the inside at the last second, and that really messes with your pre snap read for the Especially quarterback. Especially for the Chiefs, the Chiefs, the, the Travis Kelsey will change his route based off leverage all the time. 
So if yeah. he and Mahomes agree, okay, I'm this leverage, and then right at the snap, the corner's in a different spot, you're creating confusion. So that's kind of like a tennis and, player if you're returning a serve, and then like the guy's about to like toss the ball up and hit, and the tennis player just was maybe like leaning inside, and they just go out, or they're further back and they move up. Just you yeah, have to yeah. kind of mess with their strategy, the server. So it's like we're 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 lined up outside the receiver. So the so Mahomes say that receiver's running the slant back towards in towards the middle of the field. You, you're thinking, oh, that's good. He's outside. He's going to break away from his leverage. Then at the last second, when Mahomes like looks at the the center to take the snap, you go inside. All of a sudden, that's that slant's not available because the the cornerback's inside, and that makes Mahomes waste a half second. He goes on to his uh, next read. But that's enough love, time for the pass rush to get home. I love how like these the simplest things sometimes just mess quarterbacks up. It's just yeah. like it seems like it's but all the thing nonsense. Is like, right? We we say like, oh yeah, just switch your leverage. That's really hard to do. Like it, it it's very difficult because you have to remember, like in watching the game, it looks easy because you see where the receivers are lined up, you see where the corners are lined up, and then you just okay, you just change your leverage. But in the huddle. We don't know where all those receivers are going to line up. We don't know if people are going to go in motion pre-snap. There's 98,000 things as a defense we have to be ready for. So you can't just get in the huddle and be like, all right, guys, call the change leverage at the snap play. Ready, break. Like It's only going to work in certain contexts. The guy like, has to be on the line instead of like off the line for it to like actually really matter in terms of changing the release and like what, what direction he heads. So you have to have like really good communication. And, and everybody's got to be on the same page. The entire like In the same way that the quarterback and the receiver have to see the leverage and understand what that means, the corner, the safety, the linebacker, even like, you know, when, the, when they run their simulated pressures, because they'll do that, that stuff we talk about with the Ravens, right? Put six guys up on the line, rush four, drop two of them. Those guys dropping, those defensive ends, they also have to know, they have to understand this is a holistic thing. So that's why, like, you say well-coached, and, like, the result of well-coached end up being, like, oh, the corner moves over six inches. Like, that's not well-coached. That's easy. It's actually really, really hard. It's, yeah, the knowing when. Okay, so... This was Chiefs Titans was a game of the week. I want to also do zombie game of the week, which was the Bucks are playing the Rams this week. And I think this was, you know, pretty obviously probably the game of the week. If we had looked at this at the beginning of the season, obviously the Bucks and the Rams like both won Super Bowls on their home fields. Tom Brady, like, you know, Matt Stafford, like this is supposed to be good. And yet both these teams teams look, I don't know, atrocious right now. They both have three wins. I mean, the Bucs are behind the Falcons in their division. The Rams I mean, I feel light years behind in their division, even though they're they're not that far. Like, the Niners have rocked them. The Seahawks are, are ahead of them. Why do these teams suck? Which team would you like first? The answer's the same, though. Oh, how so, Steve? Is it the same? I think, uh, big picture-wise, a bad offensive line uh, not allowing you to run on first and second down is the the base of the problem for both teams. And then yeah. where the problems go from there are, are totally different, but that's the at the heart of the problem. Yeah. I think that I agree that's the shared thing, right? So the Bucks had interior offensive line injuries. The Rams had just pure offensive line injuries period, did not just interior. They also both had departures in the offseason that kind of weakened their depth, right? Andrew Whitworth and, and Austin Blight, Austin Corbett. Are they both Austins? Every time I do that, I always think I got one of their names wrong. Andrew Corbett. Those guys left the Rams, and then you had Alex Cappy and Ali Marpet leave the, the Bucks, and then you have the injuries, right? You, you, uh, the, the Bucks are on third-round rookie, uh, left guard, who they've since benched. They have a second-year player at center, whose first snaps at center came this year. The Rams have a college left tackle, who was originally starting from the right guard, now back at a tackle position. They have street free agents and undrafted free agents coming in to fill the interior spots. Nightmare situation. By rush EPA, the Bucks are the last team in the league by minus at minus 0.261. Now, like the numbers don't mean anything until you hear that second worst is negative 0.207. So the, the, the gulf is enormous, right? The difference between 32 and 31 bucks to the next next most worst team is like 31 to 20. It's ridiculous how much worse they are. And then the Rams there at 29. So both run offenses are horrible. That's going to put you in long, late down situations. Then you also have static quarterbacks. I think that's another shared thing is that if you have interior offensive line injuries, okay, like that's a problem. But if you got a, a quarterback who can move, you can try to solve that a little bit. You know, and you get the rollout game working. You expect him to scramble, expect him to make a guy miss. Brady and Stafford, both of them are talented, positive, good quarterbacks that are beneficial to their teams, do have the issues of being pocket statues. Not only are they relatively immobile, they both don't like to move. They don't want to go off of their spot. 
So they end up uh, throwing the ball early in the down, right? Brady's time to throw right now is like astronomically low, one of the lowest of his career. And then Stafford's taking, converting more pressures to sacks than pretty much any quarterback in the league, taking a sack on a greater percentage of his dropbacks than pretty much any quarterback in the league. So you're, you're running the ball on early downs, you're falling behind the sticks, and then your quarterbacks, as talented as they are with their arms, as talented as they are with their eyes and their minds, are not the sort of mobile play-extending quarterbacks to endure the issues that you have on the offensive line. You're entering, you're allowing a ton of pressure and it's affecting your passing game. That's the, I think, the shared answer. I do think that the Rams personnel is just bad. Like yeah. offensive line notwithstanding. They're just they just got rookies and young guys and and you know, kind of bottom of the roster dudes that have a bunch of positions, right? Like Ben Skoronic is taking a ton of snaps. Darian Kendrick has to be corner too. Like they're they're just this was always going to happen with the Rams. They just eventually the coffers run dry, right? They've done such a good job turning over late round picks and young guys into starters. Eventually kind of run out of gas there. So I think that's happening to agree with the Rams. And then with the Bucks, more important, but in my opinion, more difficult to understand is just massive defensive progression. It's not, a, it's not nearly as cool to watch this Bucks defense as it used to be, man. Like they're just, they're not tackling well. Devin White's playing some of his worst football. The corners, like I'm, I'm a big Carlton Davis supporter i think jamel dean's a quality guy i think both of them have struggled this year dean's played better but davis has has been disappointing they need antoine winfield back badly like this defense all three levels disappointing yeah i I would say it's definitely personnel for los angeles that's a big thing but i would say that you're getting a similar effect with the bucks because their receiver room is very talented and deep but it's been unsettled throughout the season it's been a different group basically every week and then them missing gronk i i did not think Losing yes, Gronk would be Gronk this big, big of a one. deal. It's the biggest deal. It's one of the biggest deals because it affects both the run game and the pass game. They loved running behind Gronk, running duo and having that tight end. The, the tight ends they have now just can't block it up like Gronk did. And they're not catching balls over the middle. So you have Tom Brady throwing contested crossers over the middle to a guy wearing number 41, Co'Keefe. Like we don't like it's it's not good in the ways that it it used to be good. They don't have Antonio Brown anymore, that second outside threat. I think that's a big difference. Mm-hmm. So it's basically either we're throwing outside the numbers to Mike Evans or we're doing something inefficient. Yeah. That's it the is, whole offense right now. It is, it's difficult to overstate. Like, I always like to talk about cornerstone players, right? Like, like these, these keystone guys who they're no, they don't look that much different than the other players when they're just like kind of on the field. Like, oh, that's a good player or whatever. But when you remove them, the foundations of the offense fall apart. Everything, it, you, didn't, you didn't realize it, you couldn't see it, but everything in the offense was built off of like this. The best example is like Sean McVay wide zone offense. We run wide zone, we run wide zone so we can get to our play action pass, so we can get to our rollout. Like everything is built off this one idea. Gronk was a, like we knew Gronk was good. Gronk was the cornerstone, man. He was holding this entire thing together. Like the Bucks are not, running play action as success. They're not running the ball as successfully. They're not running play action as successfully. They're not running in breakers as successfully. They're not running empty as successfully. And when you go and you watch like all of the stuff, like the running game, you're like, yeah, they're trying to do the Gronk stuff and it's not there. And then you look at like the play action in breaking stuff and you're like, oh yeah, like Cameron Bray is not going to make this contested catch. You know who would have made it? Gronk. Okay, like they're in their empty stuff. They're trying to throw a flag route, right? Right to the sideline. You know who's really good on those routes? Winning with leverage, catching over his shoulder? Gronk. And you just like watch, you're just like, holy smokes. Everything was conditional on this guy, dude. And and without him, they start falling behind the sticks. The stuff that was like their easy bucket, right? Get like, you know, 12 foot jumper from the elbow. Like all, all the all the stuff that was just fundamental to them, they have lost it. And, and now they're, they're identity less on offense. And it's because Gronk's gone. And I would say like, that's the same case for the Rams, but it's Odell Beckham being gone. He, and then- I see what you're saying. That's on third down, though. That's a third down problem. And when we had Cooper Cup on, on the uh, Ringer show during the offseason, he mentioned the Super Bowl game plan really took a hit when uh, Odell went out because it was based around them selling out to stop Cooper Cup and then exploiting that with Odell Beckham on the backside of routes. Now yeah. they don't have that guy. Now it's Allen Robinson, and no one's afraid of Allen Robinson in twenty. And the Allen Robinson was always so irritating because even if Robinson was what he was billed as... What he was supposed like, oh, like if he was the best Allen Robinson we've got in the last five years, it wasn't the same player as Odell. Like instead of getting backside in breaking routes to take advantage of safety rotation because Cooper Cup's being doubled, it's just backside fades. It's backside 50-50 balls. Like that's what Robinson's good at. Fades and slants. 
Yeah, right, exactly. Even if you got good Robinson, the payoff, like the money route, the route that was really going to make this work, backside dig. We like fetishized the backside dig. But that was the route that was going to like really, really, really put the cherry on top of this Ram-Stafford era offense. You weren't even getting that out of Robinson if he were good, and he's not. I was looking at yards per route run against certain coverages, like man zone, uh, earlier today, because I'm working on a, on a Dolphins piece. Ben Skoranek and Allen Robinson are two of the bottom three players, receivers, in yards per route run versus zone. When they get zone coverage, they just throw it to Cup with reckless abandon. Just where is Cooper Cup? He's the, he's the only guy we're interested in catching the ball, finding the soft spot in zone, yards after catch. He's the only guy we want. So then teams just play man. They just man and double Cup. Right, and then they yeah. say, all right, beat us, that's Alan it. Robinson. Beat us, Ben Skoranek. And that's why I say it's a personnel issue. They just don't have guys. They don't have enough bodies. They need Van Jefferson to come back. They need Tutu to be what they drafted. They don't have the dudes. It'll be funny when Odell and Gronk just come back to the Rams and Bucks in like late December and just go. They, to the they should. Nah. That that's They're the only way to, the Bills. That's the only way to make this this NFC playoffs watchable for me is those two go to the return to their teams from last year. And I would also add like the Allen Robinson thing, as simple as it sounds, it takes a long time to run those backside digs. And Allen Robinson is very slow. Like just the timing yeah. doesn't make sense, especially when you add in a bad offensive line that can't protect. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sports book, because right now, new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's free bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just sign up at the promo code RINGERNFL. Everything in my bones is screaming that the Seahawks should be favored over the Cardinals, but the Seahawks are getting points. But I'm going to Costanza myself, because if every instinct I have is wrong, the opposite must be true. So I am taking the Cardinals Giving points, take the Cardinals money line. Thank you later, Costanza. FanDuel has tons of betting options for each game. You can combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with the same game parlay. So sign up today with the promo code RINGERNFL for your no-sweat first bet. Make every moment more this season with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 plus in select states. First online real money wager only. Refund is issued as non-withdrawable free bets that expire in 14 days. Restriction supply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG. In Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Virginia. 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona. 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut. 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana. Visit ksgamblinghelp.com in Kansas. 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369 in New York. The Tennessee red line is 1-800-889-9789 Tennessee. 1-800-522-4700 Wyoming. Or visit www.1800gambler.net in West Virginia. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm personal price plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash RingerNFL. Just go to Indeed.com slash RingerNFL right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Modelo. What does a true fan look like? It's cheering the loudest. It's never missing a game, no matter what. And for that, you deserve an ice cold reward because you are a fighter and Modelo is your reward. Modelo, the mark of a fighter. Shop delivery or pickup options near you at ordermodelo.com. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Imports, Chicago, Illinois. Well, let's get to Monday morning headlines. Solik and Steven can predict the future of the games, but they're pretty terrible at writing headlines. So we kind of make them do both. And it's funny. Starting first here, Miami Dolphins are five and three. They're at Chicago this week. Miami's giving five points. Solak, how do you think Dolphins Bears goes? Who wins? And then what is the headline on Monday morning? Okay. Do I feel good about this? No. Am I doing it because it's worth it? Yes. Dolphins beat the Bears. 
soundly, and the headline is Full Chub. It's got to be Full Chub. The reason <laughs> it's Full Chub is because we get uh, Bradley Chubb in his first game with the Dolphins. And obviously, like, oh, like how, how quickly can you integrate? Do you know the playbook? Well, the nice thing is, is that when you bring a pass rusher in, even as he's still learning the playbook, on third downs, you can just be like, hey, like, go line up outside the tackle and try to get to the quarterback. Like, those are the easy calls. You know, like, you just kind of put your head down and go. Uh, this Dolphins team desperately needed a better pass rush from their front. And it's funny because they have, like, a, a talented front. Jalen Phillips, Raekwon Davis, Christian Wilkins is kind of, like, overhyped for his draft stock. But he's, he's a fine little player. Melvin Ingram, like, this was a good group. And they're, they're good on early downs. They've been getting home, but, like, inconsistently and irregularly. They really did need a ringer. They needed a one guy you can set your clock to. And then I think you can, you know, get more one-on-ones for Phillips. You can scheme up loops for Melvin Ingram. He's so good on that. Like, I think you're going to be solid now that you kind of have one guy established. And Chubb hasn't been healthy enough to put up the counting numbers that indicate he's one of those dudes. But in terms of efficiency metrics, Chubb is, is, is a solid number one rusher, right? He is a Max Crosby in terms of what he brings to you in, in, in the pass rush. That, I think, will help out the Dolphins a ton on third down. And if you're looking to feel good about your newly acquired pass rusher to whom you signed a five-year, $118, million deal, whatever it was, uh, Justin Fields is a great quarterback to play in week one. Because Justin Fields will take a sack. All right, he'll make that new pass rusher look real good in the counting stats. That's for sure. Uh, Fields leads the league in, in, in sack rate, uh, taking it as a percentage of his dropbacks. Uh, Dolphins going to score a ton of points every single week. Defense is the unit to watch now to see if this team is really going to round out among the AFC contenders. I really, really, really like the Chubb deal for them. I think he has a big debut. Yeah, so Chubb had Full a Chubb. Yeah, I, all right. It's a good headline. Dolphins give a first-round pick for Bradley Chubb from Denver. I should have mentioned that at the beginning. Yeah, Full Chubb, top two headline from you all season. Uh, I think that well done, Ben. I'm actually I'm proud of you. That was pretty good. Good luck getting a paper to print that one, by the way. Yeah, but that obviously I don't think you're gonna actually get a, a, a full chub. But there's a chance, like you know, whatever the Dolphins' espionation site is, runs a little full chub. Yeah, no, good. it's 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 it, it's a good one. Uh, but the other team that made a bunch of trades this week is the Bears, who are also in this game. So the Bears dealt away Rokon Smith to the to the Ravens for a second rounder. Then they traded their second rounder to Pittsburgh for Chase Claypool. Kind of a weird mix of things, but. The Bears as a team are kind of interesting. Steven, Solak mentioned Justin Fields in this. We've argued a lot about Justin Fields in the show this season. I'm curious, are you still, I don't know, brandishing like full-fledged anger, cynicism at Justin Fields? Like, do you think that Chase Claypool helps? Do you think that this doesn't make any sense for them? Are you excited at all about Justin Fields for the Bears now? Or are you just like, still like, no, this is not going to work? I mean, it's working in that they found the right offense to put him in finally which I think is, I mean, it's not surprising that he's played better in this. We've seen Mitch Trubisky play in the same type of offense and, and have a great last month of his career in Chicago. Is this, is they <laughs> they very push all the Trubisky? same buttons. I mean, Mitch was, Mitch was far better than Fields in his second year, wasn't he? This is oh not God. the Hold Trubisky wasn't offense. He? Trubisky never had bowler. this many designed quarterback runs, number one. Number two, I don't think Trubisky... No, yeah, they ran RPOs instead. No, but I'm saying they started to do the play action stuff. They started to get him outside of the pocket, which I think is like the thing you do. It, I don't think it's proven that it, I will say this. Justin Fields is a lot better than I gave him credit for. And I canceled him too early. I'm Hank. still not optimistic about his future because he's still taking sacks at a high rate. He's still missing some layups. He's still making some bad decisions in the drop back passing game. Those are all issues that are hard to overcome as a, an NFL quarterback, unless you improve in them. And maybe he does, but I, I don't know. We ha- we've we rarely seen that happen. Last four weeks of the season, uh, Justin Fields, Bears offense, drop back EPA, gonna, 17th, drop back success rate, four. Those are numbers. Just a delightfully average offense. Mm, love to see it. And what do your eyes about... tell you when you watch those games? I, I, I think Vilas Jones need to catch football when I watch those games. I think Equinemius St. Brown, he's got, or, was it, I think it was Equinemius. St. Brown needs to catch the one during the, the Cowboys game. I, I see drops. I see execution errors from a young offensive line. Lucas Patrick, get him off the field. Ugh, there's more meat on this bone, baby. <laughs> I, I don't like the Claypool trade, though. I don't really get it. When the thing is, like, and, and the Bears coaches have said this, like, you have to throw it even when the guy's not wide open. And Claypool's not a separation guy. So I don't know if, like, is Justin Fields going to get the most out of Claypool? Is he going to use Claypool like you need to use him? I... Uh... Am worried that the Bears are going to use Claypool 
like a souped up Corey Davis. Yeah, uh, 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 Alan Lazard, but you take the little squares on the on the the image and you drag them to one twenty zoom, so it's just bigger, <laughs> right? It's just gonna be like like I think Claypool's gonna end up run blocking on like fifteen of his forty snaps, and like I, that's gonna be to the offense's benefit. But I think anybody who's like, wow, this, the Bears got Chase Claypool, now you can figure out what you have in Justin Fields. I disagree because yeah. between Claypool and Nikhil Harry and Equinemia St. Brown, you just have so many blocking talls who can't op- get open that it's very hard. Like, like, oh, like he stares down his receivers. It's because he's begging one of them to separate and you just got another guy who doesn't separate. So I, I don't think it solved the passing game problem for them. I am curious to see what the running game looks like. So I think like his jet motion stuff, his lead blocking stuff, some of that could get fun. A running bit on the fantasy football show which uh, I also host the Rear Fantasy Football Show, shout out, and is that Chase Claypool is incapable of staying on his feet after a catch. Like, he's always on the ground. Mm-hmm. And part of that, I feel like, is, I don't know, you ever you know when you're, like, throwing football in the backyard when you're a kid? And sometimes you, like, jump up to make a super unnecessary catch, even though you yeah, probably right. could have just done that standing up if you'd slightly raise your arm. It's just cooler to jump up. That just feels like every Claypool catch, it always looks much harder than it ended up being. And that's just kind of like I don't know a metaphor for his whole career. At some hey, point. if you were if you were playing with Mitch Trubisky and and Kenny Pickett, you would also think that every pass was slightly more point. off off target than yeah. it ends up being. That's I point. mean, have you, have you ever seen Tyler Lockett get tackled? <laughs> Usually, just Tyler goes Lockett, to the ground before anyone. Tyler gets Lockett there. doesn't get tackled. Tyler Lockett finds the ground. Yeah. So, sometimes it's just business, baby. You want to play ten years in this league? You find, What's you the find opposite the of the floor is lava because that's definitely Tyler Lockett. Yes. It's like diving the into that. Op- opposing defenders are lava. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, opposing defenders are lava. Okay. Next, good good, head- good headline, Solak. All right, next game here, we got the Los Angeles Chargers are at the Atlanta Falcons. This game feels like, I don't know, like opposites attract. It's like if styles make fights, these are like the two funniest kinds of styles for a football game, aren't they, Steven? Yeah, so you have maybe the worst pass defense in the NFL going up against not the worst pass offense, but it might be going forward. Can, can I read you off the names of the receivers that are expected to start on Sunday for the Chargers? Please. We have DeAndre Carter, Michael Bandy. University of San Diego, great. Chris Hendricks and Jason Moore. Do you have any takes have on no Chris Hendricks? Well, Josh, Palmer, Josh Palmer might play, right? He Danny, might, do you know he's, how he's sick it is to say, well, Josh Palmer might play as like an optimism thing? Like, I got do good you, news, guys. Guess who might make it? Josh, Josh Palmer. Palmer. Do you, you don't have any takes on Chris Hendricks, Solak? I, d- I don't know anything about there, that individual. There's a reason Neither. why I made a, I made him up, and you guys didn't even catch it because you guys oh thought God. that that was realistic. Yeah, I, that I, I that guy know. that a made when up guy. When you said would start Jason Moore, I was like, yeah, I remember him in the most recent game they played, the one the one before their bye week. That's incredible Fred because Hendrick, yeah, it didn't come on mind. the fantasy show. We also did a thing where we made up players, and everyone thought Michael Bandy was the made up guy. But Michael Bandy's a real person. <laughs> We've reached yeah, the point where the NBCs are the PCs here well, in, the, I, in the Chargers receiver room. I have a question for you guys. So the Chargers... I didn't, I didn't give my headline yet. Oh, sorry. Give oh, my... yeah, give your headline. Sorry. It's not that good. It's a phone okay. pun. A charged up, but no reception. Oh, that's actually... The Chargers wow. win, but it's going to look ugly. But I will say this about the Falcons' defense. They are very bad against the pass. But they are pretty good against the pass. Not pretty good, but average against the pass when you only have two receivers on the field, when you're in your base offense. And I think the Chargers are, are going to spend a lot of time in base offense. So I could see the, the Falcons' pass defense not be that bad. Because who are you afraid of now? Like Gerald not, Everett? It's going to be a big Gerald Everett game. It's going to be a big Trey McKitty game. I feel like coming into the season, one of the biggest criticisms of the Chargers, other than just having like a terrible right tackle, was they didn't really have any speed. At the receiver, like they had Keenan Allen, who's not a burner. And then they had Mike Williams, who's like, I don't know, one of the slower, big, deep threats in the NFL. Yeah. And their fastest guy was Jalen Guyton. Well, Jalen Guyton's out for the season. And so my, and Austin Eckler, you know, he's great running back, great pass catcher, not a burner either. And so my question for you two is with this team that the Chargers are putting out this week, can you remember like a slower skill group player group? To any that you can remember watching football. Like, not talking about talent, not talking about how good they are. Like, a slower group of people playing an NFL game at skill positions. Tom Brady's last year in New England, maybe? <laughs> okay. <laughs> they were pretty slow. I think it's um, funny, though, that like, the, the, the Chargers are trotting this out. But then on the other side of the ball, you also have the Falcons, who are about, like, run zealots, mm-hmm. playing the Chargers, who, like, philosophically are out on stopping the run. 
it just feels like this game is just like bizarro world. Yeah. I have no idea yeah. who's going to win. I picked the Chargers, but I could see the Falcons like even blowing them out of this game. Yeah, I think the Falcons win. I have seen this Chargers defense enough try to get their personnel the way they want, like five defensive backs on the field, fitted up and, and aligned against heavy condensed formations. And I just see them constantly get gashed. Seahawks game, the Jaguars game, like anytime a team decides to go heavy on them, bring multiple tight ends in and they try to like, all right, let's leave our defensive backs on the field. Let's steal our gaps in the running game. They just can't get it, get it done. And one of the reasons is because they're often have multiple linebackers on the field for that. And uh, Kenneth Murray and Drew Tranquil are just not enough. They're not enough. Like, like no team got more thoroughly baited by tackle stats than the Chargers did with Drew Tranquil, man. Like, like they drafted Kenneth Murray early and then Tranquil started playing over him and started playing better than him. And he was accumulating counting stats and everybody like Chargers fans, Chargers base, like, oh, Drew Tranquil's the guy. You watch him play, and there's just not there's not enough range, and there's not enough strength. Just, they, he just does not have a large enough range of influence. He's a good backer in such a small range relative to like what you need in this NFL with so much speed on opposing offenses that can use all 53 and a third yards of the field east to west, right? Like he's just like I, I like him. There's just not enough influence. And then Kenneth Murray, it, Kenneth Murray got to compete. He got to stick his head, his face in the fan. He don't like contact. He plays linebacker. I don't know what I, I can't. I can't do anything with that. You know what I'm saying? Like I can make chicken salad out of a lot linebacker, but if you don't want to hit, we ain't, we, we can't. There's no there's no building blocks. We can't start. Uh, so there's second levels. He also so, doesn't know where he's going. Like yeah. he doesn't know where he's going half the time, which is a yeah. problem. But here's the thing with this game. I feel like that there is a. Uh, for lack of a better term, like a holy war being fought in the NFL right now about like being aggressive on fourth down analytics and for better or for worse, Brandon Staley is kind of the face of coaches being aggressive and passing the ball and running situations. And maybe that's not fair, but at least embracing analytics and Arthur Smith and the Falcons kind of seems like this older school, like running the ball in all those situations. And I kind of feel like if the Falcons come out, win this game by running the ball down the Chargers throat and the Chargers once again, just can't stop the run and are aggressive on fourth down, not saying it's right or wrong or anything, but like, I kind of feel like this could be not the last stand for Brandon Staley, but the, the, the tides might turn on him as a coach. Is that unfair? Oh, no. no, I definitely think that's the case. He's, and it's not, maybe it's not fair because of the injuries they've dealt with. And like a lot, everyone was saying, oh, he has the pieces now. And but everyone's the defense hurt. should be better. But like literally everyone's hurt. But and every team is hurt though. I don't think that's going to save him. Right, right. Exactly. That's you, you, you can't make those excuses, especially when you were, had so much hype going in. Like, I don't think people are going to give you the benefit of the doubt, especially if you've never won as a head coach, which he hasn't. Next game here, we got the Panthers are playing at the Bengals this week. The Panthers obviously just had the whole insanity of last week with the DJ Moore catch and PJ Walker making that insane throw and then missing the extra point. And everyone saw that in the helmet. And then the Bengals just got absolutely rocked on Monday Night Football by the Browns. And so, so like, I'm curious, do you think that, who do you think wins? Do you think that the Bengals are giving seven, but I'm curious if you think the Panthers could win this game. And then what do you think the headline is after Bengals Panthers? Yeah. So I think this is going to be a close game. I like the Panthers on the line. I like the Panthers money line as well. So simply for the value, when we walk through this, this, uh, this Bengals injury report, man, I mean, besides the obvious, right? Like Jamar chase already on injured reserve defensive tackle, DJ reader, who's been there, their run stop and nose tackle for a long time, still on injured reserve, won't be activated for the, 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 the Panthers game per Zach Taylor, uh, Jadobia Wuzier, corner one torn ACL out corner two, Eli Apple hamstring limited participant, questionable Trey flowers, hamstring during the game against the Browns. Don't have information yet. That's corner three, Mike Hilton, slot receiver corner questionable for this upcoming game against the Panthers, Josh Depoe. Backup defensive tackle behind DJ Reader. Questionable for this game. They are horribly banged up. Like we talked about the charge, everybody's banged up. They have attrition at like specific spots. They have they also star receiver, all their corners, and their run stopping defensive tackles. It's just so hard to deal with specific injury like that. So the Bengals are a good team when they're healthy, but they're not the team that they usually are right now. And accordingly, I think the Panthers beat them. Uh, Panthers have been really, really good running the football in the last couple of weeks, which you know, no Christian McCaffrey last couple weeks. Donta Foreman, who's a talented back, looks healthy for them. Took line share of the carries with Chuba Hubbard injured. I expect him to continue to do so even as Hubbard comes back. They're eighth in rush EPA per play. 
over the last two weeks. So I like the Panthers to beat the Bengals. Running the football, P.J. Walker looks like he's a grown NFL quarterback. This offense that for the Bengals, without Jamar Chase, does not have the downfield answers that they need. They don't know how to pass the ball against too high when they don't have Jamar Chase on the field. They are discombobulated, and the Panthers are pointing up. So Panthers over Bengals, and I went like, you know, bad, expired pop culture reference, but I went Tiger Kings, Panthers beat Bengals. I was trying to do like a... Like a big cat thing. <laughs> I couldn't think of any good big cat things. I just went for Tiger Kings. That's actually, that's not bad either. Steven, you're a Panthers fan. How do you feel about, do you think the Panthers? Keep pounding. Yeah. Keep pounding, baby. Uh, BJ will test those cornerbacks. Yes. Good old Philip Walker. That man is not afraid to make a throw. He is not afraid to make a throw. And it doesn't matter, like uh, the Bucks and the Falcons, like fooled him a couple times with some pre-snap disguises. He just fired that sucker in there anyway. And it didn't matter because he has the arm strength to do it. Now, I think like our man, Big Lou, uh, Anarumo, the defensive coordinator for the Bengals, has a chance. Like he's a good defensive coordinator. And I think he, he can fool Walker into some mistakes. And Walker has thrown some bad passes over the course of his career. So I could see him throwing a couple interceptions and keeping the Bengals in this, but I totally agree. Like this offense and me and Solak talked about this before last week, we kind of bought into the improvement, like the RPO stuff, mixing the run and pass game more, but we were both skeptical that it was going to continue on the pace. It was, it was at like against the Falcons and against the saints and Jamar chase going out. Like, a lot of their solutions over the past couple of weeks has just been throwing it to Jamar Chase one-on-one, throwing back shoulder fades to Chase. And now that he's gone, they don't have an answer for that top-down coverage they're seeing where even when teams are playing man, they're playing over the top, so the back shoulder fade is open. But when Burrow doesn't have the confidence to make those throws to other receivers because they're not Jamar Chase, I don't know if they have another viable answer to those coverages. Yeah, the uh, the big Burrow stat that stands out to me with with this this game played without Jamar Chase is that when uh, when they were bad early in the season, facing a ton of too high, one of the things that they were trying to do is they were trying to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage and then create uh, uh, yak opportunities. Right, as as like a lot of fantasy people have talked about, Danny, uh, Joe Mixon on pace for like twice as many receiving yeah. yards as he's ever had. Right, twice as many receptions. Like he's just been so 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 productive in the passing game. Well. They come out and, and and with their solutions, with their RPO game, they're no longer behind the line of scrimmage team. Now they're like quick game. They're throwing it like five yards of depth, seven yards of depth, four yards of depth, and that's how they're doing it, which is just so much better, right? Like if you're, if you're throwing for Yak four yards down the field instead of four yards behind the line of scrimmage, it's an eight-yard difference. It's massive. Well, they lose Jamar Chase. They come out in week eight, and over 37% of Joe Burrow's pass attempts come behind the line of scrimmage. They're just constantly flare out to Joe Mixon, bubble to Joe Mixon, Bubble to, to, to Stanley Morgan. All right, it wasn't Stanley Morgan. Uh, Mike Thomas, Trent Irwin, right? They have a There's lot of players trying... who sound like Banks. Yeah. Stanley Morgan? Yeah. Trent Irwin? T. Higgins. I'd go to the bank, T. Higgins. That's a trustworthy yeah. sounding bank. Just, I don't know. Uh, it's too many. Yeah. Ton of throws behind line of scrimmage. And, and, and without Jamar Chase, who's a uniquely good Yak player, right? Like in the Yak world, it goes Debo, Cooper Cup, Jamar Chase, period. Without Chase... Uh, it's just it, Joe Mixon's not enough. It's, it's, Tyler Boyd's not enough. It, it's it's not enough talent to be living behind the line of scrimmage. Like the teams that do this live on wide receiver screens, live on 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 these short RPOs. Niners, Dolphins over the past couple of years, Eagles right now. AJ Brown, Jalen Waddle, Tyreek Hill, Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk. They go out and they get guys who are really good with the ball in their hands. The Bengals didn't do that, right? And so when they go to become this like behind the line of scrimmage, short passing RPO team. There just simply isn't enough juice on the field for them to actually get all the way down 80 yards, score a touchdown. Uh, I don't know how you solve that, right? Like this, this Bengals past few weeks was like a salve. It was a Band-Aid. They had healed, they had, they, they had taken some drugs and they weren't feeling the symptoms, but it was still festering. And now with no chase, it's the head's right back, right? The issue is right back, back to the top. I don't know how, how you solve this problem. Festering is a good word for a lot of teams this year. I don't think yeah. Zach Taylor knows how to solve the problem either. And that's the yeah. problem. <laughs> But that's what I that's what I want to say is like this is an earnestly difficult problem to solve. This is like it shouldn't the, be though. It should not be when you I have disagree. T Higgins, I think Tyler Boyd, Hayden Hurst, Joe Burrow, Joe Mixon, a, a, an offensive line that's not good, but it's not terrible anymore. All right, let, I'll, let, I'll pose. Why the question is that to hard way. to solve? I'll, I'll I'll pose the question to you this way: Bengals struggle to throw against cover two. Yeah, yeah. I, I'm going to give you two explanations, and you tell we me have. what percent of that issue is due to explanation one and explanation two. 
Explanation one, Zach Taylor can't scheme up anything to work against cover two. Explanation two, Joe Burrow won't throw open routes against two high because he doesn't like where they are. Yes. No, that is, that is so a good what point. What percent goes where? Because to me, it's like 60-40. Uh, no, it is 60. I, I would agree. Yeah. I would okay, say 65 okay, okay. Point being, everyone wants yeah. to blame Zach Taylor. It's not cool to blame Joe Burrow, but this is some of but a lot of this. But blame Joe Taylor's Burrow's fault. baby arm. Yeah. And, and, and doing without saying absolutely, it. Zach Taylor is the issue number one because you should be able to work around this. Burrow's talented enough, but there are reps, man, where you're like, Burrow, just rip it. You got to rip just the bender. Rip you got to do it. And he doesn't he want He never it. rips he the like bender. It. The only time he's thrown deep over the middle was when the safety for the Falcons fell down and, and Tyler Boyd yeah. was wide open. You want to know, time. you want, all right, you ready for this? Here's the take. If Tua is better than Burrow, do you want to know why? It's because Tua is willing to rip that throw on time accurately, even though he has a limited arm and Burrow isn't. And for the Dolphins right now, that's critical because the Dolphins live in that intermediate, uh, intermediate to deep between the numbers window. And it's because Tua just blindly hucks it in there. And like, we make fun of him for it because the ball's not very fast. But it works. He maximizes receivers and it, it keeps teams out of like just running too deep stuff. It's good. Burrow has to be willing to chuck that thing. So Joe Burrow's a coward. I'm, I'm, we could just button it there. I think that that's the whole point. Joe Burrow's <laughs> a coward to his brave. That's basically where we're at. I'm going to spend the next 24 hours working with the video team to cut up that little rant. So it makes it seem like uh, Solak's arguing for two over Burrow. <laughs> I don't think Joe it's going to take the video team 24 hours. You cut one or two words, and I said two is better than Burrow because X. All right. <laughs> next game here, we got the Saints are at the Ravens this Monday Night Football. Uh, speaking of injuries, the Ravens, per usual, have a lot of injuries going on. Steven, who do you, who do you think wins Saints-Ravens? What's the headline Tuesday morning? I think the Ravens win. The, the headline is Roman Holiday, ground game powers Ravens, and win over Saints. And I say Roman Holiday because I think it's going to be a game where everyone thinks Greg Roman is good again because we've seen this defense have problems against offenses that run the ball like this, that run the ball, that pull guards, that have the quarterback heavily involved. We saw it in week one against the Falcons. I think we're going to see it again. I like we've seen some improvement from the Saints defense, at least last week when they shut out the Raiders. The pass rush was much better. They were getting sacks. There weren't as many big plays allowed, or there haven't been over the past couple weeks, and that was a problem early on. I don't think that's going to matter. I don't What's think the, the Saints SEO run defense. On Roman Holiday. I had to Google it because I was like, "That's got to be a reference." I don't know, and it is. It's a 1953 film starring Audrey Hepburn. I thought, it, yeah, I've heard of the movie. I have no idea what it's about. I just have, have heard the the saying before, and I it, it's a pun with uh, Greg Roman. It works. Shut up. That's what everyone goes for <laughs> after the Ravens games. It's just like, man, Greg Roman. Well, I, no, I, I think he's going to have a good he's game. Like your but, it's good. but what I'm going to say is none of it is going to matter. Like this game won't matter. What, don't take anything away from it. If the Ravens do have a good offense, I don't care. Like the passing, it's the same problems we've, we've talked about all season long. I actually have like a, a Heifetz analogy. Can I, can I use it? Please. I, oh, by all means. Okay, so Greg Roman, he's making dinner. He's, go, he's going to the grocery store to make dinner. He starts out, he's like, I'm going to make a good appetizer. He spends all his money on the appetizer. He spends a, a bunch of money on a nice bottle of wine. He's only got $5 left over for the entree. And he has to buy like a, a DiGiorno's pizza. That's Greg Roman. That's how he's, he's made this offense. The run game is the appetizer. The, as we know, in modern football, the run game is supposed to be the appetizer for the offense. It's supposed to have a good passing game. And then Lamar is the bottle of wine. So yeah, like... It looks good sometimes. The appetizer was good. It leaves a good taste in your mouth because the wine was excellent. But you're you're still hungry. You still left wanting more. That's this Ravens offense. So yes, Devin the run DuVernay game is, is good. Like but he spent so much fucking money on it that doesn't matter. Like he's they put everything into it that it doesn't matter because the pass game yeah. gets neglected. It continues to be like if you just gave an average NFL coordinator Lamar, he could generate. 92 to 85% of the running offense that the Ravens have with just Lamar. But Greg Roman sends the entire depth chart and the entire week and the entire playbook on getting this running game like 13% better than it would be if you just like put Lamar out there. It was like, yeah, you figure it out. And then the entire passing game suffers because of it, right? Okay. Um, I have one comment on this. Please. I actually have two. One, I very much agree. 
the weakness of the Dennis Allen Saints defense is rushing quarterbacks. Love, love, love the Ravens in this game. Two, Greg Roman. Uh, have we have we have we discussed the goatee yet on this podcast? I don't think we have. I don't think so. Greg Roman, great goatee. Strong goatee game, trims it, looks nice. It, as Greg Roman's hair, has been becoming progressively more gray over the last decade of Greg Roman's time in the NFL. It's jet black this year. Hair remains gray. Goatee is jet black. Why, man? It doesn't look good. The NFL made a new rule where uh, you're allowed to have an alternate goatee color. Now. <laughs> alternate, like helmet yeah, alternate helmet, but now it's alternate goatee. <laughs> That's his color rush goatee. <laughs> oh, my God. I want you guys listening and, and whatever. To, if you're listening, just Google Greg Roman dyed goatee so you can see a picture of what I'm talking about. I, I can't stand it. Up. Okay, yeah, it's a completely different color. Holy cow. Yeah, it's 100%. It's, it's completely different. I will say We've my whole life, film, I've always Greg. been like, why don't men just like embrace going gray? Like, why don't they just gray? And then my girlfriend said, at a, we were at a Halloween party last week, and she was like, I think you have a gray hair. And I literally spent like the next five minutes in the bathroom just looking for this gray hair. So you know what? I get it. If I go gray, you guys will never know. I'm just going to die. Just, I'm not even going to wait to go. I'm just, you'll never find out. So I get it, Greg. Well, with Greg Roman, we know. Color rush. That's pretty funny. All right. I want to do something here. I don't know. I, this is explaining to me like I'm five. I, I don't know. We need some detective work. I don't know. But the Seahawks are playing the Cardinals this week. Seahawks are five and three, first place in the division. Cardinals are three and five, basically tied. They're in last place in the division. Cardinals are favored. The Cardinals are favored by two points. Why are the Cardinals favored against the Seahawks if like three weeks ago, the Seahawks beat the Cardinals 19 to nine, but the Cardinals offense only had three points. Like, why are the Cardinals favored in this game? Well, I mean, like, you know, number one, the head to head performance tends not to be sticky, right? Like we generally see division rivals split games more often than they go to or two, at least when they're like relatively even in power rankings. So there's that. Uh, the Cardinals are at home, which on like traditional books is going to give them a couple more points. It's funny because like Cliff at home is, I want to say like straight up, he's like, he wins as a home favorite. He wins a lot, but against the spread at home and against the spread as a favorite, Cliff is bad in both instances. So as a home favorite, Cliff's like really bad against the spread. So I don't know how much equity you're getting in terms of like the actual home bump for the Cardinals. And then like, you know, for as much as this matters, the Cardinals are still good in terms of like advanced metrics, like by EPA per play, they're a good offense. They're a, a decent de defense, not as good as Steven thought, but whatever. Uh, by like success rate, they're relatively fine. Like they look like a respectable team. By DVOA, they're atrocious. And that's where I think this kind of stands out is like we, like they've, they've been so successful on late downs and they've been so successful in the red zone because Kyler can solve so many problems for them that they look good from like points-based metrics. But in terms of like general efficiency, this is a really herky-jerky team. And that's why they're tough to trust is because, yeah, you have three offensive points against the Seahawks. And then they had like, what, 30 offensive points against the Saints. And then and they're somewhere in the middle of that. And that's hard to get a beat on. It's like a worse version of last year's Bengals offense where explosive plays like it drove their success and the down to down consistency was not there. I think part of that is Kyler has been a little inconsistent with seeing the field. But as for why the Seahawks are, are are not favored. I think the market is just behind. Like when you, uh, Ben Baldwin puts out the market-derived power rankings, the Seahawks are still like a, a tier four team based on future betting lines. And the Cardinals are right there with them. So it makes sense from that perspective. But like when you watch these two teams play, especially Seattle over the last month, I think they're really starting to figure it out on both sides of the ball. They've made some small but significant schematic changes on defense that have really helped them out. I think the young secondary has taken a step over the the last month. And right. I don't know. I don't know if like the the line setters are grinding tape and seeing that yet. So there might be a lag effect with them. I guess it's just Hopkins coming back is just a huge difference. I don't know. I mean, I guess it's still rookie cornerbacks against DeAndre Hopkins. I don't know. I we always joke on the fantasy show about Costanza. I don't know if you've seen Seinfeld Solak, but basically George Costanza has a revelation where everything he's doing in his life is wrong. But if every instinct he has wrong, the opposite must be right. And he just says the opposite of everything. Uh, he would do and he just starts everything goes right this is my costanza game everything about this is like the seahawks should win so i kind of i'm just gonna pick the cardinals i'm going arizona i, I can't even it's only because i feel so strongly they're gonna lose 
It's not an uncommon approach, right? Is that like if the public's going to be heavy on a team, then that's probably the wrong side because books tend to know more than the public. Steven's point about the market catching up is a good one because we, over the last four weeks, have seen the Seahawks defense be really good. Like by DVOA, the Seahawks defense is the second best defense in the league if you're just looking at the last four weeks. But when a model spits out a betting number for a game, which is how like most of these books are going to set their lines, they're going to work off of an initial number. It's going to take the entirety of the season. And for the first four weeks of the season, the Seahawks were one of the worst defenses in the league. So, you know, what do we believe right now against Seattle? Like if you've used the first four weeks of the 31st best defense, if you use the last four weeks of the second best defense. On this pod, I think myself, Steven, Danny, I think we'd be more inclined to the second best. We don't think they're like actually number two, but they've been improving. The young guys have figured it out. Like we see the proof of the pudding. And we also know because of what Pete Carroll and, and defensive coordinator Clint Hurd have talked about, Quentin Jefferson had a great presser about this, their defensive tackle. They've changed the way they play defense a little bit. They've adjusted the techniques on their front to be more aggressive and to have the linebackers play a little faster. So there's there's stuff there that leads you to believe, okay, this is sticky. Yeah, like they're going to stay good on defense. For the computers, it's just like, hey, this team's had four good defensive games, four bad defensive games. They're probably just an average defense. We can get out of here. Thank you, Solak. Thank you, Steven. Thank you, everybody, for listening. This is the Ringer NFL Preview Show.